Amen. Well, we're going to continue today in the study of uh, Dr. Luke, that, uh, that gospel of certainty, as uh, we uh, consider a, a message I've entitled, Hope for the Hopeless. Hope for the Hopeless. This is a, this is a wonderful text. I, I will tell you this, some of you knew Dr. Wendell Kempton. He was a dear friend of mine for many, many years, a neighbor and president of ABWE. And uh, uh, when I was a seminary student back in the Middle Ages, uh, he showed up and he was one of the speakers at our seminary. And I thought about that this week because this is the text he, uh, he actually uh, uh, taught from the pulpit. Uh, I wish I, I remember his zeal and I remember his love for the Lord, but I, I don't, don't have a copy of it. I wish I could remember, uh, especially this week, what he had to say about the passage. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, blessed are the memory of the righteous. You know, the Bible says that. And uh, the memory of the wicked are like, make us sick, don't they? Think of the difference there. Wow. Well, hope for the hopeless. Have you ever looked into the eyes of one who is hopeless? Have you ever done that? I have, I've, had the, I've had that distinct uh, privilege and honor and responsibility as a, as a pastor. Uh, a lot of times we think of physical conditions and, and uh, we think of, think of that. Um, you know, I'm sure, one thing's for sure, you live long enough in this life if you've not looked in the eyes of people, or you will, you will, unless you step off the curb tomorrow, you're hit by a bus, and you say, I never did, you will certainly do that, you know, I thought of that, Kim, remember your dear friend, Kimmy, remember that, seeing her wasting away, this young, beautiful woman with her cancer, and Kim and I were ministering to her over in the, uh, over, where was that, Kim? At Hell South, yeah. And she was just wasting away. And you look in her eyes, it was daunting. We believe she came to faith in Jesus, mostly through Kimmy's witness. You know. Have you, have you ever, ever seen folks like that? It's, yeah, you get a, you look at that. And uh, it stays with you. You know, whether it's a bad report from the doctor or a loved one gets a bad report or maybe it's a phone call and somebody was in an accident and hurt. Maybe it's a burying of children. You know, I've conducted funerals for little babies. I've conducted them for 16-year-old boys. I remember the one, uh, uh, the boy was uh, a Cumberland Valley student. And it was so close to home, uh, I think I had nightmares about it a little bit because he was the same age as my David. Uh, he was driving the same car as my son David, a green, a little green Jetta. He had four kids in the car with him. And right at one of the roads across from Cumberland Valley High School, took a bend too quick. I don't know if they were drinking or not, I don't remember. The car was doing one of these, and, and I think they were all killed. He was killed. And you go to that home, and they're just wailing away and crying. Or to my son Jonathan, when he went to Cumberland Valley, his chemistry partner, 
was a quarterback on the Cumberland Valley football team. He had his whole future in front of him, handsome, strong, athletic guy. And don't know all that was going on, but we got the call. And you saw that a number of years ago, right? He was up in a church parking lot in Perry County, and he blew his brains out. They called Jonathan. Everyone assembled at his near neighbor friend's home. Then the call came, can your dad come too? You know, I was glad for that. Went over there and, oh, all these high school kids crying and wailing. And dad and mom. And now, and now they say, Pastor, can you say something to all of us? I'll never forget that. How do you forget those? You don't forget those things. It was a distinct privilege to talk to those kids. They, they sat outside under the tree. And they want to know, how could this happen? Why did it happen? They had his whole future in front of them. And all I could do was compassionately, through tears, point them to the love of Jesus. The resurrection and the life. I'm telling you, we live in a broken world. There's only one who provides hope for the hopeless. It's not any of the other isms. That's nothing. They're nothing. It's only Jesus. When it's all said and done, it's only him. And uh, if you're at the point of hopelessness or you're near that, I say to you, I'm going to say it throughout that, run to Jesus. That's it. Run to him. He's the hope for the hopeless. That's it. There is no, there's no hope. It's not in things. What does that matter at times? It's not in bank accounts. It's not how fast you run or how many baskets you can shoot. These things, I guess, are okay in their place. No substitute. Not in heaven. Oh, I'm very popular. Well, it's only Jesus. That's it. And that's, that's the message our world needs. People in your family, in your neighborhood, people that you circulate among, it's only Jesus. I see it more and more and more clarity than ever before in my life. And you know, as God saves you, and I trust He's saved many of you, and, and the work of sanctifying work takes place, you know, and you become from the inside out more like Christ. You have to give credit to the Lord, or people are going to think they're good people. Well, they're good people. And they're looking at you, and they don't know the real wretched man that you are, woman, and that God saved you and is changing you. Even though we still fall, you have to know it's Jesus. I'm forever saying that. Oh, you're a pastor, right? <laughs> yeah. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. Right? There you go. That's us, right? Wow. Well, accidents, phone calls, struggle, loss of work. I've seen men in and out of work. We had a man come by our house when I was a... Uh, when I was in eighth grade, he, he lost work at the factory. He was a friend of my father's. He had beautiful kids. I went to school with Vicki. She was very bright. She tells my mother I was smarter than her, but that's not really true. She got the best grades. But it's nice that she doesn't have a good memory, but she was by far. He was laid off at Duras, the chemical company again. He had six kids. What am I going to do? My father hired him to do some work around the house, clean some brushes, do whatever he could to get, you know, that kind of thing. 
And lo and behold, he hung himself in the basement so that his kids could get his life insurance. Wow. Man. If you don't see it, maybe rub the sleep out of your eyes. People are scared. People are desperate. People are without hope. And if things are going like Frankie Sinatra said, going my way, it just hold on a second, right? <laughs> wow. I, that, that's not preacher. That's just read the paper. It's in the paper. It's the way it is. Life in a fallen world. There's only hope for the hopeless in one place. It's in the Lord Jesus. That's it. We're going to see that today in the text. If you've, if you've never seen hopelessness, you will. I said that. You live in a fallen, broken, dying world. In a remarkable account, we're going to look at this in Luke chapter 8, Jesus reveals to us that he and he alone is the hope for the hopeless. So if you're nearly without hope, flee to Jesus. When all seems dire, run to him, put on your Nikes and go. And you'll find him to be more than an able to carry you through the dark days of life and carry you home to heaven. Wow. Our death does not end it. The best is yet to come. I used to say that a lot more than I do now. The best is yet to come. If you know Christ, the Lord is your Savior. That's the teaching of God's wonderful word. The best is yet to come. Yeah, I've read that... Uh, with all the prom, you see all the pictures in the paper and the prom, and it's supposed to be the big, big event, big event. And I was reading some of the teens saying, is that it? Is that it? It went so fast, all the anticipation, all that, and it's over? And then some parents living through their kids, you know, treat as if that's the high point of life. Is that sad or what? You know? Is that all there is to a fire? Remember that song? Some of you remember that. Is that all there is? That's life in the fallen world. Wow, this is remarkable. Well, in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, Luke is going to close this, what we call chapter 8, with two hopeless situations directing us to run to Jesus when the terrible times fall upon us. For we all struggle with problems we cannot solve. We struggle, struggle with habitual sins, right? The sin that easily besets might be different from one to the other, might be sexual, might be financial, might be the tongue, we say things we shouldn't say, might be anger, it might be all these things, right? We struggle with broken relationships, all of us do. We struggle with incurable diseases, we struggle on all sides. And yet I'm reminded often, it's out of the most desperate sense of need that we as people finally turn to Jesus. Well, there are two hopeless situations here. And they're two very different people here, joined, they're utterly joined by their desperate need. It's amazing how desperate and common needs will bind people together. Ever notice how, how common enemies uh, will join together against a third common enemy? They were an enemy, but we hate them more, and they join together here. Here's two desperate needs, two different spectrums, and, and we're going to see it here. The sociological aspect of the gospel is, is, that, uh, is that the gospel reaches all the strata, male and female, rich and poor, young and old, uh, the whole deal. Uh, it is the one gospel, the one Savior for the whole world. And those things don't matter to Jesus at all. 
And we see it, just a, a, a scratch of it here in, in, the, uh, in the text. For it's only Jesus who has both the compassion, and he does, and the ability, that's what Luke wants us to know, he has the authority, the ability to deliver us. He is the hope for the hopeless, and that's for you and for me. Well, let's, uh, I want to read the account. Uh, it's a, uh, before we look at the first situation in Luke uh, 18, look at verse 40 to the end of the chapter. Uh, Luke uh, writes, And now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Though she had spent all her living on physicians, some things never change, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounding you are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But Jesus said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Well, uh, two hopeless situations directing us. The takeaway is directing all of us to run to Jesus when the terrible times come. And they do come and will come. Well, the first situation, while on his way to care for a dying girl, Jesus heals a woman who was in a hopeless situation. She was hopeless, and though living, she was really as good as dead. Verses 40 to 48. Now, earlier in this chapter in Luke, uh, by God's direction, the Spirit of God, uh, in selecting his material, wants us to see the authority of this one, the Lord Jesus, over all things. And we see it, he has authority over the deep, right, when he calm the sea, be silent, and instantly the sea is, or I call it the deep, the, if I alliterate it helps, the deep, and then the demons, right, second, the Gadarean, 
He cast out the demons into the swine, and they ran into that, and shows the, the Lord has authority over demons, the deep, the demons. Now he's going to show us the authority, uh, Dr. Luke, the authority over disease and over death, four Ds. An easy way to remember that if you, if uh, Luke chapter 8, not, not a bad way to walk away with that. And, uh, and so the setting, Jesus just returned from the Gadareans where he healed the demoniac, and he found the crowds of people. They crossed on the boat, came across. They're probably in Capernaum. Some of you have been there with us, and I can imagine the setting. And the throngs of people. Now, Dr. Luke's going to let us see the crowds of people. It's like CNN showing uh, you know, their man on location with a camera and the thronging crowds of people. He lets us see that. Sometimes we, we're myoptic when we look at the text and we're, we only see Jesus moving and teaching and like there's no one around. There's no other nations. There's no Throngs of people pressing upon him, waiting for him. And uh, he, he was well-loved and, and, and uh, the notoriety he had in those early years were, were incredible. And so uh, here they are. The crowds are waiting for him and pressing upon his arrival. You know, sometimes uh, you might think, well, well, that'd be great to be famous. Uh, not really. If you're in the public, uh, if you're in the public, uh, it's tiring. It is. Some of you deal with public, and you go, if I see another people, I'm going to scream. And uh, I saw the, uh, there's a governor of Indiana who's considering running for the presidency. Did you see that? And his wife, he's looking to his wife whether she wants to or not because she is not a public person. And I told Faith when I heard that, I said, if they run, forget it. Her life is gone. She becomes completely public in everything she says and does. And it's a, it's a, it's a pressure. It's not fun. You, you surrender that when you become a public personality in politics or in in whatever type of work you're doing. Some of you are very people-oriented uh, in your work. I know Todd and, and Mark, Mark, you tell me you see 100 people a day. I don't know how you look into 100 miles a day and this kind of thing. Holy smoke. Do their tongues look any different? You know, like, <laughs> beware of the tongue, right? <laughs> macaroni. And Todd, at least you're looking in their eyeballs, Todd. So, you, you know, that's a, the eyes are beautiful. The tongues, I'm not so sure, right? But anyway, what's that got to do with anything? Anyway, the thronging crowds here. We just get a glimpse of it in verse 40 particular. Upon arriving, a, well to, a very well-to-do Jewish leader. He's one of the elders. In, in, in a synagogue would have between three and seven leaders. And uh, he was an elder. He was considered a godly man. He was Jewish. He was the head guy of, a, of the uh, synagogue in Capernaum. He, uh, I've sat there in the foundation where, where that area was, a main thoroughfare, busy fishing town right on the, one of the Roman highways, and uh, this guy was, uh, he was like the mayor of the town. I mean, in that day, the synagogue was the center of, of the social and spiritual activity of, of any Jewish city. I mean, uh, and so he was, it, he was well known. It was like, who's that guy there? No, they all knew him. They all knew who this uh, Jairus was. And here he comes. He comes up to Jesus. Now imagine the throngs of the crowd and this esteemed 
Jewish man, leader, president of the sin, comes up, throws himself at the feet of Jesus. That was a sight to behold. That was not an everyday occurrence. Particularly since now, we, you read in the text, the synagogues were beginning to close to Jesus. He would go in there, he would teach himself in the Old Testament. Remember Nazareth? And all of a sudden they're like, we don't like that. We're throwing you out of town, in fact, maybe over the cliff. And the synagogues were sort of closing to him. He was an open-air teacher, preacher of the Sea of Galilee and other places, you know, in the courtyard on the Mount of Olives. But here, here, the synagogue leader, the president, one responsible overall operation of the place, order of service and everything else that was his, he comes and he lays prostrate before the Lord Jesus. He was a man without hope. He was desperate. And oftentimes, uh, people that come to the very end of themselves, all the props are knocked out. They lose their health, that's a big one, they're looking up. They lose their wealth, they lose their job, they lose their family, they lose what, all of a sudden. I mean, that's an vo- extremely difficult time, a vulnerable time. But it's often the time that, that because of these artificial supports that are only ever temporary, are knocked out, and people are open, more open otherwise, to coming to Jesus. Look for that. Maybe that's where you are in your life. Come to Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall receive the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit, you know, the pride, the prideful, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm keeping that. You'll never make heaven, ever. The way to the cross, the way to heaven is low. And here he is, poor in spirit. He's broken. This, his little girl, she was priceless. What a treasure. What an absolute treasure she was. And children, are, are, they're a treasure. They're a gift of the Lord. You know, they're not, they're not yours to keep. They're, they belong to the Lord. If God, if you're, maybe you're single, you're not, and maybe you're married in heaven. If you are married and, and God has given you, they're not yours. They're not yours to keep. Few flips of the calendar. Faith and I know that for sure. They're gone. Where are they? Different zip codes, different states. Now we pray for them like mad. We pray for them. They belong to the Lord, right? He was about ready to lose his priceless treasure. No doubt he had tried every other option. Can you see him? Weeks ahead of this time, depending on what the illness was, he looked under this rock and that rock, went to this medical center. I'm going down to John Hopkins. They're going to take care of her. Johns Hopkins down there. We're going to go to Sloan Kettering. We're going to, we're going to, no help anywhere. They took the money. You got a health card. Yes, great. You got the deductible. Yes, here it is. You know how it goes, right? To no avail. Couldn't help her. He looked everywhere. Nothing. But he had heard some things about Jesus. See, he had heard. People hear about the Lord even in our culture yet. So what's he do, right? He humbled himself. Good start. He humbled himself. To be humble simply recognize you're not very much, and you're not, nor am I. We think too highly of ourselves. We do. Americans think too highly. We think we're entitled. I deserve it. Don't ask that. You know what you deserve? It's a hot place. We don't deserve anything. Have this entitlement mentality. If there's a heaven, I'm going there. I'm entitled. No, you're not. 
God's holy, and you're not. You're a sinner, lost. And no doubt he tried everything. What he discovered when he came to the, Jesus was willing to help. Isn't that something? Willing to help. Doesn't say it, but he starts walking to his home. That's what the text says. He started heading toward his home. I think it's great. And as Jesus went there at the end of 42, so he's starting to follow uh, this uh, Jarius, the ruler, and B, there's an interruption. As Jesus makes his way, the pressing, thronging crowd squeezing upon him, that's the sense of it in the Greek, a desperate woman approaches him from behind. She touches his garment and is immediately healed. Dr. Luke notes twice in these few verses, immediately healed at the eye of a physician. Immediate. Immediately, not go, you know, take two aspirin, go home, you know, maybe next week come in, we'll check you out again, give you a shot, we'll check you in the MRI. No, immediately, he says twice, immediately, immediately, pressing in. This is the only time in the gospel where, where one miracle is intertwined with another. It gives us a glimpse of, uh, of, of the life of Jesus and this ministry among the people. And this desperate, desperate woman, and number two, we don't even know her name. It's not given in the text. She is a uterine bleeding, uh, the poor thing, for 12 long years. Imagine how weak she, uh, she was. My mother had some sort of problems like that when she had, had given birth to seven, seven children. And, uh, you know, you become very anemic, very tired. You lose your... your you know, your red blood cells carry your oxygen. So if you're, if you're hemorrhaging, you lost blood, you don't have enough oxygen to, no wonder you feel iron-poor blood, right? Geritol, they used to say that. Take the, I don't know if there's any, any, anything good in that stuff. But uh, uh, she, 12 years, she suffered from that. Wow, Dr. Luke tells us, it's only a physician could, she'd seen many doctors and many referrals. She was in the system, spent all her money, but no one could heal her. She suffered much from the, from the doctors. You read some of the ancient uh, remedies, you can look that up and, uh, and read it. It's like unbelievable. Thank the Lord for modern medicine, I'm telling you. You know, they thought George Washington, did I tell you this before? You probably know that. They thought he was having some problems. This was only a couple hundred years ago, right? A couple hundred years ago. George, you have too much blood. What's that? Did you go to medical school for it? Yeah, I sit in this warm tub and we'll cut your, uh, cut your arms and get rid of some of that blood. You sit in a warm tank of water hemorrhaging. Thank the Lord for modern... Look, it may be tough today. We may have real challenges living life in a world, but there are some great things like cell phone, right? Medical diagnostics, or MRI. That was a Christian man that developed that whole system. Anesthesia, that was another Christian man that developed that. He read that God put Adam to sleep and built a woman, Eve. He said, there's got to be some way we can knock people out before we cut their legs off when they're, you know, just give them a shot of whiskey and a bullet. That's sort of, there's got to be a better way. Thank the Lord for that. Instantly healed. Wow. Well, this illness, effectively, uh, it ruined her life, didn't it? It took all her money. Uh, it took her energy, she was zapped, and essentially her life. Wow, she and I remind you that she and Jerry stood at opposite ends of the social spectrum. It's the one Savior and the one gospel for everybody. Everybody. 
Jairus was at the top. She was way down at the bottom or even below that because of C, due to the law, Leviticus 15, you can look at that later, she was ceremonially unclean. You you couldn't worship with the congregation of God. Imagine, couldn't come to church 12 years. I'd be a basket case. I don't know how people miss the fellowship of God's people feasting on the Word of God. We have such a sin bent within us, we'd be so far afield. People say, I'm taking a vacation from God. You're a disaster waiting to happen. You know, like, and God knew I needed to be in the Word every day studying it for writing and for for sermon prep and for teaching, like I need, Lord, yeah, we got to keep him really close, you know. And every one of us would be reading the word every day. Wow. She, she was ceremonially unclean, was forbidden to touch anyone. She was, a, she was an outcast, if there ever was one. Do you know what that means? She couldn't even be hugged by anyone, even her family. Faith and I are huggers and touchers, and we, you, you know that, of course. Imagine not being touched or hugged by your family because you're ceremonially unclean because of a uterine bleeding problem. Terrible. Who was it, Benjamin Spock when he was at Harvard? Uh, you know, in his pagan view of uh, behaviorism, you know, he had, I think he had a daughter, and then he ran an experiment on her. She wasn't to be touched for years. You, you take a baby and don't touch that baby. That baby, if the baby lives, God made us the, that human touch. And that girl, I, I don't think she was ever right. Was it Carl Rogers? Thank you, Roger. Yeah, Roger Rogers, that's why I remember that. That's good. You know, human touch. You know, when people are in the hospital or suffering, it's so important to touch them. When you go visit, touch them. You crave for that. People battling all sorts of... Hug them, touch them, hold them. That human touch. She couldn't be touched. Twelve years. And that's why she's sneaking through the crowd here. She's not to be near anybody. She's to yell unclean if anyone gets near. Imagine that. Twelve, twelve years. As long as this little girl lived who's now dying. Twelve years. She couldn't be touched. She was the living dead, desperate she was. She couldn't touch anyone, couldn't be touched. That's why she came through the crowd. Had uh, people seen her, she probably had her head covered and went through the crowd, touched, just, if I could just touch him, his garment. She was utterly isolated, she couldn't worship, yet she's desperate. She touched and she's what? Luke tells us she's twice, she's instantly, immediately healed. That's the power of God. It's glorious, really. And such a touch, you know, would have made Jesus unclean. Because if one who was unclean touched you, it went that way. You were unclean, ceremonially. Unless you are the God-man, the Lord Jesus. And it was the first time in 12 years, no hemorrhaging. Wow. Wow. And some of you ladies can better relate to that than the men, but wow. Immediately healed. Though touched by many, see, in the crowd, in the thronging crowd, that's what Peter's commented. Lord, you're being touched by everybody. What do you mean? Yeah, there, was, there was a touch of faith, and Jesus knew it. He had healed her. He had healed her. You see, there, the Lord knows the differences. He does. 
And he knew hers was a touch of trust and need. She was desperate. Different than the passing crowd. But listen, the Lord knows when you and I run to him and cry out to him. He, he knows it in particular, different from each one. And he can be moved with the feelings of our infirmities, our weakness, our brokenness. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. Don't you love that, Psalm 116.1? My voice. And imagine how many hundreds and thousands of people praying at the same time at the, uh, around the world. And the, who was that? The Lord knows that. He's omniscient. He's, he's God. He knows that. He knows her touch. It's different, even though she touched his garment from behind. Amazing. And then Jesus, what's he do? He calls her out. He gets verses 45 to 48. At first, she didn't want to be noticed because of her being ceremonially unclean. But uh, <clears throat> she knew that he knew. Now, he looking around in the crowd, can you see this? <clears throat> she knew that he knew. And he didn't want to embarrass her. He was just calling her to step up to glorify God, to give public testimony to what God had done, and to strengthen her, and to bring her into relationship with him. Listen, God saves us, not just to save us, send us on our way. We say, I've been touched by Jesus, I confess my sin, I'm saved, and I just sort of go on my own now. Nah. Now, he calls her daughter. He draws her in. It's the only time in the gospel he called anybody by that family name. It's a relationship name. He wanted her in, have a relationship with him. That's what the Christian life is all about. I love the fellowship of the Spirit. He walks with me. He talks with me. We, we sing that, and, and uh, I talk to the Lord all day long, particularly when I'm driving, but particularly when I see you driving, Lord, you know... <laughs> That's it. It's fellowship. It's relationship. And he calls her out to give glory to God, not because he was ignorant of who touched him. He healed her, and he wants to have a relationship with her. And also to, to announce that now she's clean and she can be regather the worship uh, with the congregation there. Wow. And then he sends her off in peace. Don't you love that in verse 48? Daughter, your faith, that's the channel. Open outstretched arms, that's what it is. That's what faith is. Take God at his word and, and just receive it. And even greater than that, God gives us the faith to trust him for it. It's amazing faith. That's it. Here it is. It's all that God be the glory. And, and then he sends her off in peace. I'm telling you, this woman was had anything but peace prior to that. You know, can you relate to that? Before you ran to Jesus? Came to him, hopeless. That's how you're saved. You come hopeless. You come realizing, I can't keep the law. I'm a wretched man. I'm a wretched woman. There's no good in me. And God solved the great problem in sending his own son. Hopeless we are. The weight of the cross is low. We have to come humble ourselves and, and, and confess our sin and receive Christ the Lord, God's only payment. We, we come hopeless. Lord, what are we going to do? And then we turn to uh, Genesis 20. The Lord himself will provide the Lamb, the Lamb of God. That's Jesus. Hope for the hopeless. That's it. That's what we need, not only for salvation, but for all of life, up and down and all the rest. Wow. He sends her a peace. Peace with God, peace of God. Isn't peace a great thing? I love it. A world filled with turmoil. Peace. 
Well, that's the first hopeless situation. Jesus is on his way to one. He's interrupted by his own sovereign plan and providence. Can you see Jarius? He's walking with Jesus. Come on, Lord, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Come on, she's, I'm going to get word my daughter's not going to make it. She's at the brink. That poor guy, I see him standing there. I mean, you see that when, when they came and said, your daughter, don't trouble the master or the teacher anymore, your daughter's died. Don't trouble him. In other words, he's, you kind of get the idea of Jairus kind of pushing the Lord along through the crowd. Come on, come on, come on. He's sweating the load. Why are, okay, we're going to take care of her. Let's go. Can you see it? That's the American way, right? <laughs> we get antsy, Anita, and et cetera, and at a red light, right? Or if they goof up your order at Wendy's, oh, no, I'm going to kill myself. They, did, they forgot the ketchup, you know? <laughs> but you could feel the anxiety in this second hopeless situation. After Jairus waited, Jesus continued to the home to raise his daughter from the sleep of death. He's groaning with impatience. Just then, the report comes in verse 49. Too late, the girl had died. Don't trouble the teacher. Dreaded news. Too late. Death. Oh, this was a statement of unbelief, wasn't it? Don't trouble the master anymore. You know, earlier when uh, the centurion, remember centurion? You know, I don't want to trouble you. Just say the word. Now, that was wholly different content. That was a statement of faith. Don't want to trouble you, you know. I'm a, I, too, am a man under authority. Just say the word. That was, a, that was an expression of faith. And the servant would be healed. Here, it's a statement of unbelief. The word comes, your daughter has died. Don't trouble him anymore. It's unbelief, right? It's a statement of unbelief. And perhaps Jesus, uh, I, I just suggest that uh, on the way to Jairus' house, perhaps the Lord healed this woman above and then highlighted her faith so it would speak directly to Jairus now, who also needed to trust Jesus in the face of hopelessness. Jesus assures him, she will be well. You know, he could have said, that, well, just forget it, Jesus. Just forget it. Just forget it. You're too late. Don't bother. Maybe in his grief, he said. You know, people say things in their grief. Give people room. And when they're when they're just their guts are ripped out. Give them room. Don't measure every word. Just love them. He could have said that. And and maybe all that happened with this woman because uh, she had the faith to touch, trust Jesus and was healed and just show she's going to be okay. She's going to be all right. I love that. Remember, now here's, a, here's, a, here's a, one of the takeaways. God will do his work in his time. If you hear nothing else today, hear that. God will do his work in his time. Not our time. Man, oh man, didn't fit my daytime or here today. I had that on my PDF, right? Didn't they are on my PDA or whatever? <laughs> I did the, my calendar... Lord, God will do his work in his time. He shouts here as the very steps of Jesus are foreordained and he's carrying out the Father's will. And you notice something? We're going to notice something. Death does not even interrupt it. The Lord's able to reverse that in this situation, bring about his purpose. 
God will do his work in his time. Not Jairus' timetable. The delay and the interruption seemed to cause her death. Lord, it sounds like uh, at Bethany, right? Lord, if you'd only been here, Lazarus would not have died. Sounds like that. Don't we say that? Lord, if you'd only been there. He's always there. In him we live, move, and have our being. You think you're, where are you? Lord? The Lord's never saying, where are you? He knows where you are. We live. He's everything stands in his presence. Everything, he's omniscient. He's omnipresent, and here it is. And Jesus, uh, uh, in fact, everyone thought all was lost. It's another case where the majority was in the wrong. Don't be surprised by that. And yet Jesus has the authority and the power. Luke wants us to see it to reverse the situation and make his delay meaningless. Hope for the hopeless. Hope for the hopeless. Do not fear. Didn't he tell them? Don't, do not fear, only, only believe, right? Wow. Faith and fear, you know, it's a choice. We can be gripped with fear if we allow it. Fear, they're opposites. When we trust the Lord, like Hannah, took a case right to the Lord, wept, prayed, left it there, got up, and... Okay, Lord, you're in charge. We need that reminder, right? Either we can be afraid. Here's some examples. We can be afraid of the things that might go wrong. Oh, we're big at that. You know, all the continuum. Well, this could happen. That could happen. All these. Uh, and we stand there looking, our eyeballs open at the bedroom ceiling, not sleeping. Of all the thoughts that could go wrong, you know, and we're gripped with anxiety or have gone wrong. Or we can trust Jesus to see us through, Lord. You're in charge, I'm going to sleep. That's not bad. Jesus told Jared, just trust. Don't be afraid. Just, just, just trust. Am I afraid of what might happen to my children? You know, we, we're gripped by that. A lot of times it grips us. Grandkids, oh, Lord, you know, wow. Or do I trust the Lord to f- and his fatherly care of my children? Just pray and commit them to the Lord. You know, third, am I afraid of what people say if I take a stand for Jesus? Oh, they'll think I'm a gook. Or do I trust Jesus? Do I trust God to vindicate me? Last one, am I afraid of losing everything I own? You know, a lot of times that keeps us away. We worry about, oh, what's going to happen? Or do I trust God to provide what I truly need? Just a few. Don't, don't worry, Jesus tells Jared. Don't worry. Don't worry. All thought was lost. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. Only believe. It's not too late. Though, uh, though, and see, and find, though he was sneered by the professional weepers. Uh, it's a cultural difference. We don't do that. When someone dies, we don't call the 1-800-weepers. You know. But in that day, they thought of it as a way of honoring the dead. They did. And they come over in the village or the town, and they'd they would weep and wail and play their instruments in a minor key and, and let everyone know that death has happened. And then they buried, you'll see that with funerals in the Middle East now, they, 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 I mean by sunset, they're burying them. Uh, in, in our little city, little college town in Indiana where we pastored for uh, nine and a half years, there was a, an old Dunker church, and they did the same thing. They did not embalm, and, and the, the, law, the state laws in Indiana was if you don't embalm, you got to bury them within uh, that day. And uh, they were just good at digging 
digging those. They were out, and they dug the holes by, by hand. And they dug those holes. We go by there. Well, there they are, all in their black. They wear their black and all that. And there's another funeral. And they would wail in that day. We don't, we don't do that. It's a shame. We kind of hide death, you know, like because we are for a living. Uh, but they're wailing. And Jesus comes onto the scene, and uh, they're wailing away. And he tells them what? Look, look, at, look at his words. Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And then the text says, and they laughed at him. You know they weren't sincere weepers. You cannot flip a coin and go from grieving, weeping, to, you know, David Letterman laughing, he, 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 no way. And, and William Barclay, I'm sorry to tell you, if you read any of his commentaries, he really struggles with a miraculous Savior. I mean, he, his take on this, almost threw up when I read him this week, well, you know, Jesus was right. He had the right diagnosis. She was really sleeping. They weren't right. She wasn't dead. They go like, oh, please. You know, she was dead. They knew dead. She was dead. And he goes on to say, yeah, in the Middle East, they, they used to bury a lot of people that were in comas and all that weren't really dead. And I go like, he's missed the whole point. <laughs> she was gone. And he enters the room and he restores her her dead body, she summon, he summons her soul back from, from, uh, from the realm of, of glory. And, uh, and her soul returns. Shows that we're, we're not just bodies. You're not your body. Our bodies are crumbling. Your soul is a living thing inside you. Someday it'll be gone. You're not your body. I say that because we love bodies and the physical and materialism today. In her soul return. He takes her hand, he calls her, and he restores her. And he's a child arise. And it's the same word that a mother would say to her child every morning. And, time to, and he touches, he holds her. Do you see that? He touches her hand, that touch. Luke includes that. It's that compassionate, tender, authoritative, almighty touch of the Lord Jesus. Hope for the hopeless. Over disease, over death. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Lessons for our life, number one. What can we say? What's the takeaway? Only Jesus is the hope for the hopeless. Only him. Learn to love him more and more and more and more. If you've never run to him, run to him. Run to him. There's no other place. None. Certainly not Washington, D.C., I mean, there are great hospitals and doctors, we appreciate that, but they can only do so much. And circumstances and life and everything as it weaves for you and for me, it is only Jesus. Only. That's what Dr. Luke wants to see. Number two, to be saved from your sin, you must see your hopelessness before God. Have you done that? Have you, have you done that? I mean, Jairus came, he, was, he threw himself at the feet of Jesus. This woman, when she was found out in the crowd, right, threw herself at the feet of Jesus. She fell down before him. Do you know that all people everywhere will do that? That's what Paul said in Philippians, at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, here's the thing. We'll do it either now voluntarily by coming to him, humbling ourselves, 
or God will extract from every human who has ever lived the confession that his son is king of kings and lord of lords. Oh, don't, don't, don't delay. Do that now. Live for him. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. He's king. Number three, God will do his work in his timing. That means in your life and in mine. He's weaving the tapestry of your life and all the, de- all the ins and outs and all of that in my life as well as yours. The surprise phone calls, the things that happen with work or family and community, professionally, socially, all of these things for his glory. God will do his work in his time. He's not late. We're awful late, aren't we? Some of you are late for church. Be on time. Wow. Trust him. Number, f- number four. This story is a comfort for parents, is it not? Who, like Jerry, suffered the loss of a child. Isn't it, isn't it a beautiful? I hope the Lord tucks us into your memory uh, the next time that uh, uh, you're with uh, one who is weeping in the loss of a child. Uh, but that child, you know, will be raised again like this little girl. Wow. What comfort. Oh, my. Those are some of the hardest things I've ever seen. And number five and last. Know that death is not the end. I mean, you have to walk away with at least that, right? She died. Wait, whoa, wait, there's a sequel. Oh, she's alive again. Whoa, she'll be separated from mom and dad again. Some, either dad's going to die or mom's going to die or she'll die before them in this re-instituted uh, life of hers where she, she then died again, right? But death is not the end. Some of you have lost dads and moms and brothers and sisters and children and loved ones. Not the end. Not the end. It's, it's the end of the beginning. The best is yet to come. Oh, I can't wait. And in the raising of this little girl, there is again the picture for all of us who know Jesus. The Lord's going to descend from heaven with a shout, and he's going to call with a trump, and the dead in Christ will rise. You're going to be better looking than you're doing right now. Thank the Lord for that, for some of us, right? (laughs) Wow. Wow. I can't believe you said that. No, it's true, though. We, We will. Praise the Lord. Hope for the hopeless. That's the Lord Jesus. Shall we stand and be dismissed? Father, thank you so much.